Blog Talk Radio. Metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. High above the towering yeah, uh, Mellow And and I gotta say, are you smelling the baking goods down below this morning? Yeah, we are. We are. Uh, yeah. But you know what? It's also it's a fantastic day outside. All the doors and windows are open downstairs at the Shroom. Uh, there's a clear blue sky. People are walking around, and uh, everybody's in a great frame of mind. Uh, a couple days after the horrific, horrific events in Boston, but we're a world away from all of that. Well, my brother, well, how, uh, how, are, how are you guys doing? I didn't get an update last week from Mondo as he finished his fast, and uh, I was curious the next day. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Okay, Will. Uh, around day 27 uh, of the past, I started basically getting ill. Um, and I had to try to fight through the last few days. Uh made it successfully. Uh, I, uh, I had to force, you know, food, and, oh, not food, but uh, liquid and, and juices and stuff down because my body just didn't want to take it. actually wanted some more sustenance and and uh, but I made it through, man, and I'm uh, feeling good. I'm happy to be eating solids again. And uh, it's, it's 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 been great, though, man. It was a a, a wonderful 30 day spiritual journey. Uh, in the process, I lost uh, 33 pounds. Uh, I am feeling great, and uh, now the key is just you know listen and obey to what I heard those 30 days, as well as keep off the weight. <laughs> so. But yeah, it was it was good, man. It was uh, it wasn't easy. The first the first and the fourth week were the roughest. The middle two weeks were I found a groove and I was pretty good. That last week was pretty horrendous. Yeah, Aaron, I wish you could see this man. He is a shadow of of his former self. Uh, I mean, his uh, I can see his, you know that I could see really why why the women were so crazy about him when he was a younger guy. <laughs> And, and, I'm, and I'm sure, you know, that he's facing more trouble now, that his uh, girlish figure is back. Uh, anyway. Those oh, those breathing hips? Oh, man, I'm <laughs> telling you. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, pretty ridiculous, man. I, I can't wait for you to see me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, I'm... Just, I'm, I've never felt less like seeing you in my life, actually. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, oh, man, man. I appreciate I appreciate you asking. It, it was great, man. And we'll, we'll go in more detail later, I guess. But uh, but it, it was great, man. And and honestly, you know, I, I've challenged a few friends. You know, it's not go thirty. You I mean try to go two weeks. You know, and try to do fruit and uh, and veggie drinks, smoothies, juices, and that's it. And water, and uh, you know, maybe take some sort of other uh, supplement like a, you know, if you need to take uh, vitamin D, you know, or whatever. But but I, I challenge that I got to try it, man. It's uh, you, you'd be surprised how clear you can hear when you're when you're in that state of I haven't eaten in ten days. You know, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. And I know those guys who are listening who fast uh, are can definitely attest to that. But man, you know, once you get past that two week mark and you got two more weeks to go, uh, it's pretty it's pretty remarkable experience. Well, see, the only downside is I'm thinking the next time I come to your house, I can't cook. Creme brulee, French toast. I'm gonna to have to make like a parfait. So, well, you know, uh, there there is a thing called cheat days. <laughs> oh, okay, we can have a cheat day. How yeah. are you doing, Nate? Well, you know, on the subject of body consciousness here, um, Allie and I leave in a couple days for a not. A, I was about to say a Mediterranean cruise. I wish a Caribbean cruise. Uh, 
first time we've ever gone cruising. We're going to celebrate our 35th anniversary. We're going on a five-day cruise, which for my wife requires at least two weeks of packing. That's what we're enduring right now. And um, and an awful lot of self-consciousness about you know how awful and old and fat we both look now in bathing suits. Um and of course, you know, I, I'm the king of, you know, the vacation disaster. I booked this thing six months ago, and of course, I booked the Carnival Cruise. Yes, I did, uh, and paid. Pay, I'm paying top shelf to go on this boat for five days. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's really about all that we're thinking and talking about in our house right now. We're two days away from getting on the plane and flying you know, out of Miami. Empty. An empty porta potty does not weigh that much, so it really probably <laughs> won't cost a lot to take it on the plane with you down to Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just, did just at least I got I got us you know a room on the outside of the ship, you know. So I do have I do have a balcony. And, Wait, uh, on the outside of the ship, like in one of the lifeboats? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. they're very expensive those lifeboat uh, staterooms, but we got one. Nice. <laughs> well, uh, and a quick update for you, Aaron, and then we're going to bump to a mini meeting and, and then get to our guest. Yeah, things are things are going good. Uh, we just have two new band members that we brought in last night, getting ready for two gigs. One of which is a three-hour gig, so that happens in two weeks. So trying to rehearse two new guys for three-hour gigs. Uh, I did not sleep last night as I was running through my head how we were going to pull that off. But it is exciting. It is good, good stuff. So my mind is racing with all kinds of new stuff and uh, finishing some book projects. So it's it has just been a, uh, a, a racing time right now. Wow, fantastic. Not a, not a good sleeping time, but a racing time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that's what it's like, you know, when you've got a big project ahead of you. Allie woke up at four in the morning obsessing about packing and uh, and packed for a couple hours and then went back to sleep. It's uh, that kind of thing that gets going. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back in just a second uh, with a meeting uh, with a mini meeting. Before we go to the break, let me remind you that if you're on the go, you can stream archive shows on Stitcher. You can download the app in the iTunes App Store or in Google Play. Also, if you do listen to us on iTunes, if you're uh, not listening live but you're uh, listening to the podcast, please do us a favor and write a review of the show so that we can increase our visibility there on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Okay. And we'll if you be are here. listening to this, if you are listening live, you might have a question or you want to call in and say, hey, so get ready. The number is... Three four seven eight five zero seventeen sixty nine. Three four seven eight five zero seventeen sixty nine. One eight three four seven eight five zero seventeen sixty nine. Oh man, you sound you sound like a like a, a infomercial there. Got to say it three times. You know we don't have the jingle yet for the number, but we did get an email from one of our listeners, Larry, who said that he was able to make the number spell fist. 501 POW. That's the best we could do. Fist 501 POW. What? what, Say it again. Fist 501 POW. All right. Okay. Beautiful. All right. We'll be back in just a second here on Pirate Monk Radio. And we're back on the Pirate Monk Radio Show. Time now for a quick mini-meeting. Well, welcome to this mini-meeting at the Samson Society. Uh, We are a company of Christian men. We're also natural loners who've recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning 
to judge ourselves aright than natural strong men who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. Incidentally, I'm reading this from the new Samson Society app. If you haven't downloaded it yet, uh, go ahead and get it. You can always have a meeting with you wherever you've got your phone or your iPad. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, or for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly out of our own personal experience the challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. All right. Uh, The suggested topic for today's mini-meeting is... Ah, hunger. There it is, boys. Hunger. The floor is now open. Mm, hunger. Wow, man. Yeah. That is that is mondo appropriate. Yeah, and mondo doesn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In, ca- in case the listeners are wondering, we don't pre-script the show. I don't tell anybody what the uh, uh, topic's going to be. In fact, I pick it out of the air uh, at the moment uh, we come to the need for it. So there it is, yeah. hunger. He, he, uh, goes guys, the, he, he goes to the old factory and they build him one. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go. Uh, my name right. is Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Hey, man. Um, hey, Mondo. Hunger... Hunger for me uh, isn't just the fast, you know, the physical, the physical hunger. But uh, I think part of my fast was the thing that I was able to, um, I guess, be clear on. Uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of gray area I feel in my life, and um, and I wanted clarity as far as just some direction, some decisions, and different things like that. But the hunger for me that I found that sometimes I tend to get a hunger for what I want versus what God wants for me and my family. And uh, hunger for me is a huge part of my driving force of of why I work so hard, uh, why I do this, do that, um, that, that pursuit. Uh, and But I found that sometimes that pursuit, just by going and going and going, you look up one day and realize, man, is this God's path or is this my path? Am I, am I blazing my own trail? Or is God here? You know, and and I, I think my hunger can't be on the the task or the blessing. It has to be my hunger has to be for for God and what He wants. Um, I have to I have to I have to change my focus. And in, in, in the fast of physically being hungry, uh, spiritually was redirected to uh, to God's plan for for me and what I need to uh, be hungry for. Um, and you know, I it, it's kind of a somewhat a humiliating thing to realize that, man, I was on the wrong track, you know. Uh, but, shoot, I need to get, get over here and, and be hungry for what God wants and, and have peace about that. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. You know, I, I had peace about the things I was chasing, but sometimes I had I didn't have peace when I said, okay, I'm going to trust God on this, but I'd be like a nervous wreck the whole time. I'm like, well, that's not really faith. Mm-hmm. That's that's a wish. You know, I'm, I'm wishing God comes through and, I know what he said, but I'm going to be uneasy while I follow his plan. There's a lot of stuff that didn't make sense to me. And I'm like, okay, either you're going to get on this thing of faith, you're going to stay on and be hungry for what God wants for you, your family, your business, and others around you, or you can be hungry for what you want and see how that how that turns out for you. And and uh, so, yeah, the, the hunger of the fast physically was a, was a, a spiritual check for me. Um, and the great thing about it, uh, there was confirmation in that after 30 days, I had, you know, several conversations with my wife. And it's, I found out that I caught up to where she had been. Mm-hmm. And she confirmed everything I was going through and the things that I've come to know now. And she also knew that she had to wait on me to go through my process because she felt like, you know, you wouldn't hear from me. Mm-hmm. You would, you're, you're going to hear from the Lord, and then I can, you know, talk to you after that. And so, uh, so yeah, man. So hunger, hunger has played a crucial part physically and spiritually in the last, you know, uh, 40, 45 days of uh, life. So uh, that's me, Amanda. Uh, 
Okay. I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Mondo. Uh, okay. Yeah, I know that God gave us uh, hunger, you know, these sensations of uh, desire because we need them. Uh, you know, if I weren't hungry for things, I wouldn't pursue things. I know that sexual desire is a, is a good thing, necessary for the propagation of the species, necessary uh, to motivate me to connect uh, deeply with my wife. Uh, I'm very well aware that as well, though, that, um, you know, appetite can be perverted and that um, it's possible for me to uh, try to meet a deep hunger with some kind of uh, a shallow fix. I love Michael Cusick's book, Surfing for God, and the way he you know, takes off from that uh, you know, famous uh, quote that the man who knocks on the brothel door is searching for God. Um, there were years and years and years when I was just driven by my appetites, uh, my sexual appetites, uh, my appetites for food. At least that's what I thought I was hungry for. Um, and it's crazy. Once that wheel gets spinning, it was like the more I had, the more I wanted. Um, and there has to come a point, uh, for me at least, where you kind of where you hit the brakes. I'm grateful to have sanity around sexual desire now. But I'm well aware of the fact that I can fan that uh, flame, you know, I get back into a roaring blaze if I want to, if I feed that deep desire with something shallow. Um, and I'm very aware the same is true right now for physical food. I mean, I'm not crazy enough to do a 40-day fast. Uh, I don't, I, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take that shot. Um, I probably should fast. I don't have the discipline or the desire to do a fast right now uh but i did change my uh eating and you know went to whole foods and ate really healthy stuff for a while until i got a great um verdict from my doctor i've noticed that since the doctor congratulated me on everything i was doing well ever since i got the good results with good blood work and a drop in body weight and all that kind of stuff um those things that I know aren't good for me have started. I've allowed them to begin to infiltrate my life again. And it's amazing how one bite of sugar makes me want two. It's bizarre. Uh, much the same way during my years of act addiction that one look at pornography made me want two. Uh, one trip down a road I shouldn't go on uh, made me want to go back again. Even though that indulgence wasn't actually meeting the appetite, not on a deep level, wasn't bringing any satisfaction, uh, and it actually was actually harming me. I don't know. Uh, hunger is a, um, to me, it's a double-edged sword. It's a mixed blessing. Um, I think it's going to be, I'm not sure how heaven is going to work out up there, but uh, my impression is that uh you know, with the glorified body, we're not going to be driven by these appetites in the same crazy way we are here. <laughs> and uh, as much as I enjoy, enjoy food and as much as I enjoy, you know, deep, intimate connection with my wife, uh, it'll be nice when um, ap when hunger gets clarified a little bit, uh, the next, uh, you know, in the next phase of, of this eternal life that I now... I'm enjoying. I'll stop there. I'm Nate. Thanks, Nate. Well, I don't know. The first thing that comes to my heart is just the, the hope that Jesus said that I'm going to be blessed if I hunger and thirst for his righteousness, that I'll be mm. filled, and that especially in times this just felt like a pretty in-between year where my schedule's been really busy with uh, new stuff that has, has just really filled up my weekly schedule and that's been hard 
uh, and so I feel a deep hunger, but I also feel like I don't have as much natural flow where I used to be able to uh, find the space to fill that hunger in satisfying ways with the Lord. Mm. Um, so holding on to that that hope that the the hunger is good and the hunger shows that the spirit is still at work saying there is there is something better and that we do go through seasons where uh hard stuff is necessary but God is is there to fill it and uh I think a lot of times I'm looking for that quick fix. Maybe if I just do more Bible study or have more devotion times, then it'll be fixed today. But sometimes I have to walk through the whole season to get filled. So just accepting that the hungering and thirsting for a season of fasting brings about uh, the filling at the end. So... Yeah, I think I'm just kind of accepting that hungering and thirsting and trying not to fill it with lesser things, not trying trying to not satiate uh, that that hunger with fast food. Mm. Yeah. That's that's what I'm thinking of in my world with the word hunger. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, We will be back in just a moment with our guest for the day here on the Pirate Monk Radio Show. Radio show that song I will trust is by our guest for the day Matt Kramer. Uh, he wrote it, performed it, recorded it some time ago. Uh, Matt, welcome to the show. Hey Nate, how you doing? Good, good. What can you tell us about that song? That I'm, I'm sure that comes out of your life. Where did you write it, and how did it come about? Actually, that song uh, I will trust in the goodness of the Lord was when I was serving at a church in Dayton, Ohio. And um, the pastors that I was serving with, uh, his father was dying of pancreatic cancer. And my father had just died um, at the ripe old age of 54. And so we were both going through some pretty tough times. And, and you know, just the, the, the doubting the goodness of the Lord. So that, that's where that song came from, um, yeah. even, even in the hard times. Where else can we go? Yeah. Well, uh, you have certainly, you've got a life story. Um, Our listeners who've read Samson and the Pirate Monks know a little bit about your story because it's included there as one of the uh, snapshot uh, stories toward the end of the book. Before we get to your story, let's, Let's get current. You, uh, the, I'm leaving Friday for uh, for a cruise. You're leaving Friday for for a, an, a trip that's a little more exotic and more exciting. You're headed to Israel. Yep, Israel and Palestine. Yep, um, Roberta and I, my wife Roberta and I, leave Friday evening. Um, fly to Newark and then Newark to Tel Aviv and um, 
And so Saturday night we will be sleeping in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. And, um, and then I'll be doing um, the spiritual emphasis week for the Nazareth Baptist School, all, almost all of, of next week, and then doing some concerts in Nazareth and Bethlehem. And and um, we're really excited. Got a lot more prep work to do before we leave, but um, just praying that the Holy Spirit will give me words. Now there are a lot wow. of people excited about you coming. You are not the you're not the typical tourist who's coming to do the Bible Land tour. You know who's gawking around, never been there. This is home for you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, Nate. Um, that's where I grew up. Um, from age five to eighteen, it was home. And so uh, I've always kind of been schizophrenic, uh, part Palestinian, part redneck. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and you enjoy you had a you had a performance career musical career there in Palestine. Yeah, uh, when I was actually when I was eighteen, one of my um, one of my music teachers at the high school that I was going to in Jerusalem had a studio. And um, well, let me back up a little bit. I, I was working as a teenager every summer down in camps, uh, summer camps in Petah Tikva near Tel Aviv, and. I would write songs for those camps, and um, the kids really seemed to like them, and they would take them back to their churches and teach them to the youth groups at their churches and things. And so from about age really 15 through 18, I was writing songs, and and they were becoming well-known. And then when I was 18, a senior in high school, um, my music teacher that had the studio and I had a dream of, giving the Palestinian Christian young people contemporary Christian music of their own. And so I uh, recorded my first album then, then which in Arabic means um, be an overcomer. And then a couple years later, World Vision heard Kunreliban, and they gave us a, a grant to record two more albums. So in 1986, I recorded... Um, which means Come, Lord Jesus, and also another album called Kyria Eleison, which is actually Greek for Lord Have Mercy. Mm. But yeah, Arabic is my second mother tongue. Yeah. Now, um, there is a popular misconception here in the U.S. that uh, Palestinians are uh, Muslims. That's just basically it. Right. Can, you, can you can you correct that uh, for us? Actually, um, worldwide, twenty um, percent of the Palestinian people are from Christian backgrounds: um, Orthodox, Catholic, uh, Armenian, um, Coptic, and Evangelical. Um, the percentage has decreased in the land itself um, because of the political situation and because of persecution, really, from uh, from both sides. But, yeah, there are some Palestinian churches, actually, in, in northern Israel. Uh, that's, the, that's the strange thing. In, in northern Israel, you have Arab-Israeli Palestinian Christians. <laughs> Uh, wow. An animal that most people don't know don't know exists, but there are actually churches up there that date their founding back to the day of Pentecost. Because if you remember, one of the languages that was spoken was Arabic. Mm. Uh, um, but yeah, in the land um, in Palestine itself, um, there's a, there are many churches, many evangelical churches. Um, uh, but like I said, it uh, it is diminishing um, just because of the economic situation. So many have moved to the States, and it's kind of sad. When I first went to Bethlehem in 1971, um, the population was almost, um, I, I think, 50%, 60 maybe, uh, Christian in Bethlehem. And um, now it's less than 2%. And um, oh, wow. it's kind of sad that in the town that Jesus was born, that his followers are leaving, but there's 60% unemployment right now in the Palestinian territory, so. Wow. So um, so you'll be spending time uh, in the Palestinian territories uh, uh, with believers, and uh, yeah, give us give us a taste 
for and I know you're in daily contact with friends from that part of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh you you've maintained uh social social ties. What's what what's your sense? Of course we're gonna want to debrief when you get back, but um right. yeah, yeah, what's your sense of what it's like to live there now? Um, there's a lot of despair, um, a lot of um bitterness. Um, because, you know, they, the, the Palestinian Christians have been walled in, I mean, the, the Palestinian territories. And so it's very difficult for any Palestinian to travel even to other areas of the Palestinian territories. Um, so there's a lot of despair. Um, but there's also hope. Um, there's There's been some real movements lately, um, indigenous um, movements towards... Um, praying for the peace of Palestine and Israel. Evangelicals have been um, gathering at the checkpoint and gathering at the wall and um, and praying and, and mm. hearing messages. Um, and actually, some Israeli Christians and Israeli Arab Christians meet them there or meet or stand on the other side of the wall and support them. Wow. So there, there is hope. And um, of course, the, for Christians, their main hope is that that uh, you know everyone around them will recognize Jesus as Messiah, because that's the only way that there'll be true peace. Yeah, yeah. Now, what what kind of opposition do those folks meet from the different uh, religions in the area? Well, um, you know, in in. In Palestine, it depends on what area of Palestine you're talking about. In Bethlehem, because there's such a, a long Christian tradition, um, there's not as much outward persecution. Now, if you get into the more uh, radical um, Muslim areas like Gaza or even Nablus, um, uh, which is uh, biblical Shechem, Shechem, or however you say it in English, yeah. um in those areas, there's definitely persecution. And, um, like, for example, in Gaza, there was once a thriving Christian population in the Gaza Strip, um, both uh, Catholic, Orthodox, and Evangelical. Now, in a population of 1,500,000 people, there are less than 3,000 Christians. And um, just a couple years ago, a member of the Bible Society was um, was actually drugged out of his home and killed by some of the mm. radical Muslims there in Gaza. Um, in the north, in Israel, um, they are much freer. Um, the Israeli Arabs, uh, though still they're, they're still kind of second-class citizens, um, but there's much more freedom for them to practice and you know openly um ha- you know have churches now uh, israeli law prohibits in quotation marks proselytizing um now that doesn't mean you can't share your faith and they and the christians actively both uh, jewish israelis and arab israelis actively share their faith but like they could interpret if you give someone a bible or a piece of literature that can be interpreted as proselytizing, and you can actually be uh, in prison for that or deported for that, you know, depending on what mood the judge is in. <laughs> wow, wow. So, well, you know, a demo- even even in a free democracy like Israel, there's still um, some religious persecution. So, mm. Now, Matt... Um, you went to uh, Palestine. You went to the Middle East uh, as uh, a child. Yes, your, I was your five parents, years old. Five years old. Your parents were missionaries. Uh, certainly, you know, a noble calling, a noble mission. But for you, things uh, started to go sideways. You were a very uh, gifted kid with a, uh, a knack for language. You had the facility the special facility that any child has to learn a language quickly. Uh, you became key to your parents' uh, mission effort, and then uh, things started to go dark. Can you tell a little of your story, Matt? Sure. Um, yeah, there's so many positive things about, um, that, you know, that I experienced growing up there, and, and I wouldn't trade 
um, you know, the the positive things. I wouldn't trade my experiences, but, um, uh, you know, I did learn Arabic and pick it up very quickly and very fluently. And, um, was, you know, I would spend a lot of time in the villages and the refugee camps and, um, and uh, you know, given a lot of freedom um, by my parents, uh, which was a good thing because I was able to get into situations and share the gospel that most foreigners wouldn't be able to. But one of the dark, uh, not very well-kept secrets in the in the Muslim world is um, pedophilia, mm. and uh, so when I was about seven years old, uh, was the first time that I was actually um, molested um, by an 18 year old Palestinian um, uh, young man, and um, that things just kind of went worse from there, to the point where really um, between age seven and age 15 I was actually raped hundreds of times by by Palestinian men. Um, uh, Primarily, uh, the the problem exists in the Muslim culture, but even in some nominal Christian cultures, it exists as well. Um, It's not a very well-kept secret, um, and yet it's kept underground. It's a a part of their culture. So, and it took me a... I, I, you know... Because I was afraid of of the impact that it could have on our ministry and on my parents' ministry, if you know much was made of it, um, I kept it to myself. In fact, um, you know I didn't share it with anyone. Plus, especially when we'd come back to the states, I couldn't imagine that you know that kind of thing happened to any guys here in the states. Right, yeah. Um, and so I would never talk about it here in the States. And um, finally, after about 15 years of marriage and um, and um, being fired from a ministry job for an affair, um, I started to deal with the impact that it had on me. And it just messes you up, Nate. Yeah. It messes you up. Yeah. Wow. It is true that, you know, you dig back uh, to the core of almost any addiction. Uh, many therapists now will say, that will make that statement without reservation. Every addiction, at the core of every addiction is trauma. Mm-hmm. And uh, this certainly was, uh, you know, trauma, uh, trauma of the deepest kind. And if it's something you can't deal with, you find that you're going to medicate that pain uh in all kinds of ways, right? Absolutely. I um I have an addictive personality to to start with. And um just um you know, uh Dan Allender and Scotty Smith often will say that um our sin is at the intersection of our um sin againstness, our idols, I'm sorry, our idols and our addictions are at the intersection of our own sin and our sin againstness. Mm. Um, and I can't remember who said it, Scotty or Dan, both of them say it. Um, and, yeah, um, one of my biggest idols is uh, comfort and, 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 and also uh, an entitlement mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because I, I was a victim of abuse for so many years, I kind of got angry at God. You mm-hmm. know, um, here I am trying to save these people, in quotation marks, you know, and, and um, I, I, you know, I, I kind of even had a messianic complex, of, you know, um, but, and, and at the same time, uh, I'm being sexually abused and, and have nowhere to go with it. Yeah. You know, and, um, the false guilt and shame that that is very common among abuse survivors, um, you you start to get angry at God for allowing it to happen. And in fact, one of the main questions of abuse survivors is, "Okay, God, where were you when this happened?" And and for me, it was it was almost like also, God, you owe me. 
Um, I, you know, I, here I served you and gave up my childhood for you and you let this happen to me. So now you owe me. So now I get more than three free sins. Like Steve Brown would say, I get to live any way I want. And, um, I, I first started experiencing depression when I was um, in high school, but not not bad because I had minimized the abuse so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but later on, um, uh, after uh, many years of marriage to, to Roberta, um, I started. I, I was at a ministry and and I was doing uh, all kinds of. I was kind of like an assistant pastor, even though my job title was worship leader. And I was preaching twice a Sunday. Our founding pastor had left, and 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 even though I knew it was wrong, um, and and morally wrong, somehow there was a part of me that felt like it was okay for friends to have sex with each other. Mm-hmm. And so I actually I had an affair with uh, one of our family friends, um, and and you know she um, she was the mother of my children's best friends and she was friends with Roberta and and I continued to struggle with more and more depression. I mean, here I am preaching in the pulpit on Sunday morning mm-hmm. and have despair. And yeah. the the true guilt and true conviction of that, along with the false guilt and toxic shame that I had never even begun to deal with, sent me spiraling deeper and deeper and I began to use alcohol as a means of escape, um, and, um, uh, you know, it led to some severe bouts of alcohol abuse. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, strange, we can... one strange thing, and my counselors can't figure out why, but, um, you know, my therapist, and uh, is that um, pornography actually never became one of my issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, I my you know I can escape um, with a pint of vodka, or I can escape by going out and running ten miles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the type of addicted personality I am. Okay, well, when we come back, I want to talk about uh, the road to recovery and what it's looking like for you. Um, uh, let's hear another one of your songs. Here's uh, some, uh, and we're oh, we got a couple of. Uh, uh, okay, I've uh, got a couple of phone calls we're going to take when we come back. First, let's hear a bit of uh, Matt Creamer's uh, interpretation of Psalm 69, Rescue Me. conversation with Matt hearing about his uh his story of hope and redemption from a from a, a hard hard story. I don't know many people that uh went through what you went through Matt, but we've got Bob from Chicago who also had parents who were in ministry who uh has some thoughts and questions about uh some shame issues. So Bob, throw your question out or your thought. <laughs> 
Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. It's my pleasure to be on and, and be one of your first callers in your new format, and I really appreciate that. Fantastic. Um, I am a recovering PK, and uh, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think uh, Nate, and it sounds like, man, yeah. you are in that same boat. And there's something, there's a stigma that comes with being a PK, and, and I throw in the word recovering. Just, you know, it is humorous, but there's a lot of truth to that. Because there's something about living life in a fishbowl and, and seeming to have to, to, to live up to a greater expectation in living. But most of that is perceived from the outside. It's almost like you're a PK, you have to play a role. And mm -hmm. then when we fall, it seems like the fall is greater. And when we have shame, that shame is is feels to us to be a lot deeper than it would be for somebody else. But along with that, also, I think what you were speaking to, Matt, was uh, almost this sense of entitlement that we are born into. Uh, as you say, well, uh, I am, you know, the, that, that way of thinking that I'm now entitled to act out uh, in, in a specific manner, but maybe both uh, uh, may and um, yeah. Matt, you can speak to that 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 PK and and for, sorry, uh, listeners, we're, uh, I'm saying preacher's kid. I'm I'm assuming that everybody knows what that stands for. But uh, my dad is a pastor. Uh, I fell into uh, uh, acting out out of of not feeling like I measured up to that standard. And when mm -hmm. I failed, I didn't want anybody to know because I knew that it would be something that that not only would bring me shame but would bring tremendous disappointment to uh, my family who was in ministry. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was a PK and an MK, so I was doubly cursed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I heard that in what you said, Matt, that you felt this uh, obligation. I certainly felt it as a young man. Uh, this was kind of like family work. It wasn't just that dad was called to the ministry. We all were. We were on parade on Sunday, and we were. Uh, and so I heard in what you said earlier, Matt, this feeling that uh, you you had responsibility for uh, maintaining and safeguarding this mission to which your entire family was called. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and um, I, you know, I was used in so many ways as an interpreter and as a translator um when we'd go out into the villages um uh when we would um i would by age 12 i was interpreting for the doctors in the hospital um so there was an, a lot of it seems like um extra responsibility for a um for a, you know young pre-adolescent and and teenager but also, some of it was really honestly, Nate, I loved the Palestinian people. I still do. That's why I'm going back. And and I longed to see them come, you know, those that didn't know the Lord come to know the Lord. And and um, and it was just hard. Yeah. Bob, thanks. I, when, Good. Shoot. Yeah. When I, when I hear Bob when you're talking, because uh, being – being a pastor and looking at my four kids and being in the middle of the process of adopting a fifth kid, uh, I am. I, I spent about eight years interviewing every pastor's kid I met, uh, whether it was at camps or anything. And my first question to them was always, hey, are you a screwed up one or are you like a functional one? And they would always laugh. They could always answer that immediately. They knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. Well, my, I mean, my my brother and I handled it differently. My uh, my brother was the rebellious one. He's the one who, at, during church, he would go across the alley and steal candy, you mm -hmm. know, being the pastor's kid. And he completely rejected it. And whereas I, I embraced it uh, to the point where it wasn't, authentic anymore it was uh, wow yes. hey, you put it you put it bluntly you're you're on parade uh and i always use i'm living life in a fishbowl because everybody else is looking at the pastor or the missionary and hey let's look at his family and let's evaluate the pastor based upon how his family uh this also brings in you know what happened with rick warren's family recently and a lot of the 
issues that have mm-hmm. come to light as a result of that and, and how we must feel compassionate that these are kids who need to be raised and and uh, loved whether they're a PK or not. They're, they shouldn't be held to a different standard. And and so you have some, uh, as you said, will embrace it and some who reject it. And I remember when I was going through therapy, my therapist actually said my brother was the healthier one. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's where it comes down to that I think, you know, shame, and I think this is for all the parents that are listening, navigating our shameful moments because adolescence is filled with embarrassing moments. Our heads are filled with things that are confusing and shameful we make decisions that are shameful. And when any parent starts associating that with, well, our family doesn't do that, and our mm. family needs to look like this, instead of letting a child navigate their faith and their shame in an appropriate way, then you end up in a place like that. When you talk about the horror that you went through that you carried as a secret that mm-hmm. ate away at you for decades, mm-hmm. like that breaks my heart. And yeah. I just, man, this is this is such a huge. This is every parent's concern, but I think it's highlighted so. I mean, it's highlighted in Las Vegas neon with pastors' kids and and missionary kids. Yeah. Yes. It, it's, Bob, uh, Bob thanks so much for calling in. Let me go ahead, Jim. Bob, thanks so much for oh, calling you're back, in. Guys, it was an honor. It's been the dream come true <laughs> to talk to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. It was great. Thanks. And we'll talk again sometime. Okay, I hope so. All right. Uh, yeah, Matt, uh, uh, sorry to uh, shut you down there, but uh, yeah, what were you saying? Um, it the 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 toxic shame. Um, you know, I I. Part of the problem was I minimized it so much and really felt like it was my fault, you know, that, and that's so common uh, among abuse victims. But the other thing I wanted to point out is um, sexual abuse and incest are very common um, uh, in missionary-type situations. I mean, there have been recent studies done and recent articles um, of all over the world, I mean, uh, uh, what's his name that wrote the shack, Paul Young? Oh, yeah, um, sure. Paul well, has told a similar story, yeah. His story is very similar to mine, um, you know, and but the the toxic shame, um, it just, it's, and, and it's, it's because of ambivalence, um, as Dan Allender calls it, because um, you feel like, you know, I, I could have stopped it. I should have stopped it. I, but I, you know, there were times when I kept going back for more. You know, and um, so it. One of the hardest things to to deal with has been the toxic shame. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's talk some about your uh, the road to recovery, the places that God has taken you. Uh, for progressive healing, I've had the privilege of being uh, alongside you and seeing you on this process. And I know, man, it's a it's a long hike back, isn't it? Um, oh man, yeah. Uh, just ask, just ask Roberta. <laughs> I yeah. uh, I put her through about uh, ten years of hell now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just uh, d- diving deeper and deeper into the damage that um, it did to my psyche, and um, and struggling with the addiction and the alcohol abuse, and um, but uh, you know, after when when we moved to uh, Franklin um, was when I first started really getting into counseling, um, and uh, Dr. Bruce McCurdy, one of the best counselors around, and and um, he, you know, I started dealing with um, um, sexual abuse and the effect of the affair on our marriage, and and dealing with the um, addiction and the alcohol abuse. And um, I also uh, spent some time in 2004 with Dan Allender out on Bainbridge Island mm-hmm. in Seattle. And uh, Dan is 
really one of the foremost experts on adult survivors of, of sexual abuse and um uh and and then when we moved back we were in Florida actually when we went um uh, uh when Samson Society first started in two thousand and four and when we moved back to uh Tennessee, oh I kept hearing from Bruce, Hey, we've got this new thing going on here in Franklin and and you need to hear about it. And this guy named Nate Larkin and and actually uh Bruce, I don't know if you knew this, Nate, would send me cop uh draft copies of the Oh, of the charter as it was evolving? Of the charter, oh, wow. yeah, before before it was ever even really completely established. Yeah. <laughs> but he said, you know, you, I, I really, Bruce, we still talked to him uh, at that point once a week from Florida on the phone, and he said, I really think you need to come back um, to to uh, Tennessee and um, and become part of the Samson Society. And, um you know, and and I walked in for the first time in 2005. I believe it was in um, June or July of 2005, and 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 I started hearing stories, and and hearing guys that struggled, and and even guys that had not not the extreme abuse that I had, but guys that had similar stories of abuse and um, similar struggles with addiction and depression. And man, it was like this is I didn't know. This was the first time that I knew that that there were other people that struggled in it like this, mm-hmm. you know, and or that had experienced what I'd experienced and and some of these guys I even knew, you know. Yeah. <laughs> knew their names at least and, and knew them but never had known their stories. And um so I started um with the Samson Society and but the how therapeutic was that? How therapeutic was that for you, Matt? Uh, well, to hear other guys tell honest stories about their life, even though their story was not as ex- their abuse was not as extreme as yours. It was extremely. Um, I don't know exactly the right word to use. Um, it it helped to some degree, um, and, and and I can't say like. I was instantly healed of toxic shame, nor am I now. Mm-hmm. But it um, to understand that, um, you know, I didn't have to minimize what happened to me. Um, yeah. That I, I didn't have to be ashamed of it um, What was really the beginning of a healing process. Um, not that, you know, it's a roller coaster ride, as you know. Um, yeah. So not, it would be nice if, you know, after six months with a stylist or and going to meetings, all your struggles went away. Um, <laughs> when in fact, you know, with the counseling and, and the therapy, uh, things at times got a lot worse even. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I started on EMDR um, therapy while I was going to seminary in St. Louis from 2009 to 2012, and the EMDR therapy at first was very positive, but then took a nosedive, and I started really experiencing horrific nightmares and and went back to alcohol abuse and um, to escape and the nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um but being part of the Samson, I actually was able to start a couple of Samson societies there um, in St. Louis, and was a part of it there. Um, and then, but it sure was good to come back to Franklin after we finished up seminary, and and just you know, James in James five says, "Confess your sins to one another, and you will be healed." And that you is plural. Yeah. And, um, that, that the body of Christ experiences healing only as we are transparent and vulnerable uh, to each other about our struggles and our sins. And, yeah. and, and you know, I really think that's what Paul was talking about when he said, therefore, I will gladly all the more boast in my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know for sure what that weakness was, um, and theologians will debate it till till we actually get there and meet him, but um, you know, if you read Romans 7, uh, you and I both have said this before, that 
it it sounds like classic addiction language. The things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do do. I call it the do-do passage. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it you know, we never, those of us who are in, whether even traditional recovery or gospel-oriented um, recovery like Samson and, and gospel-oriented counseling, we know that the struggle will probably continue until we're glorified. Yeah. And yet we do experience this progressive miracle of healing. And in the meantime, we see, as I see in your life and in Roberta's life, Roberta now uh, working as a counselor, uh, you uh, having graduated from Covenant Seminary, uh, heading back to Palestine. I know God really has something in store for you there. I do have to say this. It's, I am so you know, selfishly pleased to have you guys back in Franklin, and I love nothing better than to walking into that Samson meeting on Monday night, see that Matt Creamer's there, cause, and then see if I can arrange to sit in his group when it comes to sharing time, because I know Matt's going to dive deep. Um, you have a You have a great gift of courage that elicits courage in other people um, in telling your story, being honest and um, transparent in the way you've been with us today. Matt, thanks so much for being on the show. We're running up toward the end of our time. Before we go, yeah, um, if if our listeners want to get in touch with you, Matt, now you're leaving town in a couple of days, but if they want to shoot you an email or something, or could they hit you on Facebook? What's the best way for Absolutely. I, I have two Facebook pages. One is just my personal one with friends. Um, you can look me up on that. Or there's also the Matthew Creamer uh, musician page. Um, which has a link to Reverb Nation where my English songs are. I, I, actually, I also have MatthewCreamerMusic.com, and there you can actually download for free my Arabic music. Um, but, yes, um, anyone, is uh, feel free to um, shoot me an email. Um, uh, uh, it's MatthewCreamer um, at BellSouth.net, and... And uh, if you have questions or if I can be an, uh, an encouragement in any way to anyone struggling, because, man, if there's one thing that I've realized, except for the grace of God, there go I in every circumstance, any circumstance. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Matt. Uh, we'll be praying for you. Give our love to uh, to Roberta. She's a gem and a gift. And I'm sure that God has something great in store for you and for the hundreds of I guess thousands of people who you'll be interacting with just in these next couple of weeks. Lord bless you. Pray that the Holy Spirit uh, prepares the way. Okay. All right. And before we go, a quick, a quick phone call from another Matt calling us. I believe if I remember right, calling from Montgomery, Alabama. Are you on the line? (laughs) Hey, Nate, can you hear me? I can. Matt. How's it going, buddy? Doing good, man. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I was just driving here, getting ready to go to Jason's Deli, and I was listening to the last 15 minutes. Just wanted to pop in and say hi. I hope you're doing well. I am. I am. I am. Um, we're going to have you on this show, brother. you got a story that people need to hear, so uh, we'll make that happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm look, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Okay. I love Franklin. All right. Yeah, well, Franklin loves you. Thanks, man. Good talking to you. All right, buddy. Take care. All right. Okay, we have come up to the end of our time. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, uh, at Pirate Monk Radio. There you can get show information and some fun Samson Society stuff from the Bilge Pump at the Franklin Flagship Meeting. You can also like us on Facebook or search us out at www.samsonsociety.com. Or you can send us an email at piratemonkradio at gmail.com. Uh, by the way, of course, you can make the time to listen live, 11.30 at 12.30 p.m. Central Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pirate Monk Radio. Yeah. Okay. And if you're listening live or listening, uh, yeah, yeah, we're within seconds of the conclusion of this show. If you're in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, a guest of the podcast from a few months ago, Trey Lovern, will be at Christ Community Church with his my wife, Melody, tonight telling their story how their divorce didn't work out. 
Uh, it'll be a great time. 6.30, Christ Community Church tonight. All right. Uh, next week, great ghost, uh, great guest, our friend uh, Sam Black will be on the show talking about his book, The Porn Circuit, Understanding Your Brain and Breaking the Porn Habit in 90 Days. Until then, this is Nate Larkin for Aaron Porter and uh, Mondo Grimes and our executive producer, Jay Spiegel. Goodbye from Pirate Monk Radio. Give yourself.